everyone and welcome to this episode of Talking Out About. Um, I'm very lucky today to be joined by a wonderful guest, Alex. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on and chatting to me. Um, so let's start right at the beginning. So how do you um, interact with FND? Okay, so I'm an occupational therapist oh, and I work uh with people with fnd through my job mm -hmm. uh, which is based in the west midlands okay. and we are what's called a tertiary service oh. which in nhs terms means you get primary care which is um gp yeah you get secondary care which is um services like community mental health teams mm -hmm. and then you get tertiary care which are like specialist centers so yeah and so therefore it's technically a specialist service uh for advice and diagnosis for people with fnd um so oh, usually yeah. people have taken quite a torturous journey as i'm sure you appreciate <laughs> yeah. to, uh, to, to get to us um and i've been working there oh uh six years or more now um having come there, having developed an interest in people with FND and neuropsychiatric conditions right throughout my career. Oh, okay, that, that's really, I think, um, so I've been quite fortunate, I've spoken to lots of people um, from mainly the side of being the patient. I've had a couple of people that have come on um, as professionals, so it's great that I have another professional that I can add to the, to the list of people that I've spoken to. Um, so you're a tertiary specialist. Did I say that right? Ter tertiary? Tertiary. Yeah, tertiary. It just means third, doesn't it? I'm so, um, already. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a tertiary specialist neuropsychiatry service. So the crossover between neurology and psychiatry. Um, and we sit in a mental health trust, which is often quite off-putting for mm. people that are referred to us mm. because many people um, have either had the experience of being told it's all in their head um, yeah. or perceived that they have been told that it's all in their head. And yeah. then they think, why the hecky peck are people being referred to um, a mental health service? Mm. It's just that our service sits within that service. Yeah. Um, and I suppose if you're going to talk pounds, shillings and pence, we are the service that has got the contract, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we've been around, the service has been around for, gosh, many years, probably on and off for 20, 25 years. Oh, wow. Through, so through service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So in terms of, so if we start right at the beginning of when, so they go through the primary, secondary, and they end up with you guys. Mm what happens what's the process that happens from your side okay well it can be quite obviously as i said earlier on it, it can be quite quite torturous for people um mm. because um you go to your gp and you say mm, hold on one second there's something a bit weird and wonderful going on with my body yeah. and they kind of go mm, looks neurological in nature um and they refer you to a neurologist hopefully yeah. at least that should be gold <laughs> standard fingers um, yeah fingers crossed although we do still get uh referrals that come in from people that haven't seen neurologists so we often will uh, look at those and say well hold on one second you know what um tests have you done to rule in or rule out um what you think you might be looking at yeah. um so once they've kind of gone through all of that they'll come to our door and we have a multidisciplinary team of neuropsychiatrists yeah. and in the main occupational therapists who will look at the referrals and say yeah this is appropriate for the service or no it's not we need um a little bit more information yeah um and then they will be seen by the neuropsychiatrist um, and there are a range of them. So we have, I think we 
probably have four or five consultants who yeah. are all very, very experienced and very, very lovely, it has to be said. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really glad you said that because that's the other thing that we got like people could do get scared when you put like a psychiatrist in it was like, oh, that was a weird word, sorry. Psychiatrist <laughs> into things. People go, oh, and they get scared because they're like, oh, that sounds really scary. So I'm glad you've said that they're really nice. That's reassuring for everyone oh, else. No, we're kind of like training them upwardly to be really, really nice. We're not happy <laughs> when they're not nice to you. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, hopefully they'll see one of our neuropsychiatrists. So when I say neuropsychiatrists, they do have training that's additional to psychiatry okay. in neurology. So neuropsychiatry. So they are kind of feet in both camps. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very important. It's very important with uh, conditions that look neurological in nature um, for them to have that additional training. So um, they come to us and hopefully they are given a good chunk of time. I mean, usually the first sessions are at least an hour and a half. Um, So people are given a good chunk of time to talk and tell their story which again is really really important Mm. um and then they are often referred to myself or my colleagues um Mm. for what's called the fnd pathway um and once upon a time before covid it just used to be either you would see us one-to-one or you would come to a face-to-face group um um but now we kind of have a range of options because one of the things that's come out of covid is that we do like we're doing right now a lot of online stuff yeah um so we offer an online group we offer a face-to-face group or we offer one-to-one um there's lots of options there are options definitely they're not perfect by any stretch because (laughs) we are um because we cover our service covers the entire West Midlands. Yes. It's huge. I mean, it's literally down Shrewsbury, down to the Forest of Dean and across. Oh my goodness. There's just a small amount of us. There's kind of who you're hearing now and the people that I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, and so we have to cut our cloth, I suppose, according to the resources that we've got, we've been commissioned um, yeah. for. So, uh, if people want to see us in the group or uh, one-to-one, they might have to go on another waiting list yeah. um, and travel to us because we don't have the facility to offer many transport. And, of course, in this day and age where people are watching what's going into their fuel tanks, mm. that can be really, really hard. And particularly if you're having a bad FND day, I'm going to just say that because it yeah, could be okay. Think. No, um, that's, that's yeah, <laughs> uh, a folk will, you know, ring me kind of last minute and go, I can't come. I'm sorry, because actually, you know, I've had a really bad spasm or actually uh, paralysis or tremor or actually voice, those yeah. kinds of things. Um, so I'm like, well, OK, we try and be as flexible as possible. Mm. Um, so but most people do seem to be opting for the online group. Um, and they're doing that because it's a practical thing, but yeah. they're also doing it because that means that they get to see us quickly. Um, yeah. And this, the group is um, the online version because being online is really tiring for folk. Mm. Um, and, you know, we are supposed to be encouraging self-management and all. Um, I it's, it's six sessions usually based around the best evidence as we know it yeah. with regards to FND um and then what we do thereafter is we have a couple of mop-up sessions i.e okay what now um where can we signpost you to do you need support with regards to letters for pip or Mm. um support with disability facilities grants or um actually do you need referring on to a physio we do have physio uh in the center but it's only outpatient only and again cutting our cloth it's only something like six sessions and people have to travel to us so we will um and our physio is is really experienced with fnd but again um once we've finished we then have to discharge people back to local services and they're like hold on one second 
local service groups really don't understand us. So yeah. I suppose part of our mission, like the majority of <laughs> folks that work with folk with FND, is to try and educate um, local uh, medics, physios, OTs, yeah. that might be. And, you know, that takes time. And sometimes it's not time that we've been given necessarily by the trust. Yeah. So, but, but you know, it, it's worth its weight because if people get it, they really get it. Um, so and the difference it can make for interacting with someone who knows about your condition mm. from the get-go to someone who learns on the or as you go mm. is is so it, there's such a big gap between them and it can be so useful just to have someone that even just roughly knows what it actually means yeah like that tends to be the first hurdle have you actually heard of it mm-hmm. it means because you could have heard of it but not know what it means so you've got that balance haven't you of absolutely yeah you know what the the condition actually entails what it what it's like definition is Mm -hmm. for sure and actually validating it as well that's the other thing so there's this speech bubble above their heads isn't that you know Mm. professionals that don't know it but there's also I think because of the history of FND um there's also let me validate this for you I think that's really important and and the point you raised at the beginning about how you get people that come to you that might have been told it's all in their head. Mm. Um, Like I had that, the first neurologist I saw told me it was all in my head and basically I was making it up. Um, And then to go back in to see another doctor, Mm. having had that being said to you is really hard because you're like, they're just going to think I'm faking. They're just going to think I'm making it all up. So how Mm. do you try and combat that issue? Oh, okay. So um, over the years, I've sort of developed, I, I think what I try and do is I try and mirror people's language and people's yes. experiences. Um, so again, because people come with different levels of understanding. So mm. there was this chap the other week on the group who was just like, I'm so pleased to be here. Um, and he said, uh, with now with a condition that is great. I've been told I've got this condition, but it's the condition that most professionals don't know anything about. Um, so, um, so you kind of sometimes you laugh with people. Sometimes you change your language. Yeah. Um, but most of all, I say hi, welcome. Uh, this is not all in your head. And I literally have a because because I have a tendency to go off one and chat quite a lot. <laughs> Uh, so I have um, a very sort of specific um, presentation that I give to people in every group. It keeps mm-hmm. us all on track, all yeah. of us, because we've all got um, brains that tend to go off on one, <laughs> as you well know. So quite regularly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just for different reasons. But um, yeah, so I have a particular slide that people go, it literally says, uh, this is not all in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is long-term neurological condition yeah. it's influenced by um by your emotional state yeah. but that's not everything and people go mm. oh okay wow a safe place to be yes I hope I hope yeah um, I would imagine like just the fact that you you put it out there so clearly really must help the people that come into your group because like, like I said, from my own experience, it was so hard going to see another doctor because I was like, well, they're going to think I'm faking. So the mm. fact you start and you set that like right out at the beginning, you say like almost I believe you like yeah. it's OK. It's mm. not that you're you're going mad. It's not hysteria, as it's been previously named or anything like that. It is actually happening to you. Yeah. I'm really sorry it's happening to you. But now we can start to work through Mm. and and go with you and work with you and work alongside you to try and help yeah um, which must be so helpful to the the group members that you see um I'm a yeah. little bit jealous actually that I didn't have that um I'm just a little bit jealous <laughs> oh bless you I mean I do feel um sometimes I mean the people that are now coming through with a diagnosis of FND or query FND there are so many folk and I think it's there's um I think it's Professor Edwards He's written some really good stuff about 
and John Stone and Alan Carson and all of the above, um, you know, some really good stuff about, you know, how many folk are out there. And you mm. do feel as a, a healthcare professional, particularly at the moment in the NHS, you feel somewhat overwhelmed by it. Um, but you do think, gosh, I do hope that this just little bit of love, because mm. it is ultimately formed by love, yeah. um, is, uh, yeah, can be comforting for people. I hope so. I, hope I, so. I think that that would have been such a, uh, and it sounds how it's such a lovely way to have had the kind of the first introduction almost into it instead of it's all in your head and things mm. like that. Actually to have someone to be like, look, this is what it is. It's, it's a, it's a, a weird, it's a weird and wonderful condition. Mm. It does its own thing, but it's okay. Like, mm. I, I can I see you. I see what's happening to you. I'm sorry it's happening to you, but now let's work together mm. to kind of find strategies to help kind mm. of manage what you are going through mm. um, instead of being dismissed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, no one likes to be dismissed, but you especially don't like to be dismissed when you're just getting a diagnosis. Absolutely. You're going through the process of trying to figure out why you've lost the ability to walk or mm. whatever it might be. Like, that's quite overwhelming on its own without them being told, oh, it's all in your head. Like, great. Thanks. I don't better. even I don't even pretend to imagine what that must be like um you know um but I do try I hope that I try and listen mm. to me um I guess compassion yeah. is kind of where it's at and mm. just giving the space and certainly in the group the other thing is that when because people are very anti-groups they think oh, I'm gonna you know um it's gonna be all very much you know airing their dirty laundry in public and yeah. it's not at all I'm very sort of like actually please come because people find it really um, empowering to hear other people with the same experiences um, and they go oh you too mm. and it's the first time they've ever spoken to somebody else with FND and they're like yeah isn't that weird <laughs> and then sometimes sometimes I'm not doing any talking at all I mean the last group well the current group that I'm running the ladies are so chatty that I like literally have to get my whip out and kind of go, right, girls, we've got to crack on. Um, or actually what I'm going to do is I've got to book in another three sessions for us. And I literally have had to do that in this current group because they just want to share. Yeah. And what happens is, is that sometimes, again, because I've not got FND, obviously, that sometimes I can say stuff and they're like, oh, what do you know? And I'm like, yeah okay but what does the what does the team think and they're yeah. like well actually this is the way that I would do it and they yeah. challenge one another yeah so when they're feeling really really um really really low I was going to use another word but um that actually they'll say no actually come on this is the way that I've done it mm. um without pressure but gently challenging to say actually I think this is the way that you would do it um, and that's really nice because I can't I can't challenge that way, but they can challenge that way yeah. by virtue of their lived experience. Yeah, and I, that is actually a conversation that's happened um, around me a couple of times recently is that whilst the, the people that work with people with FMD mm. have vast amounts of knowledge and experience, mm. it does come down to that lived experience and hearing it from a professional who doesn't have it could be seen very differently to hearing it from another person mm. who has maybe not all the same symptoms, but some of the same symptoms as you. Um, yeah. You just feel like you're a complete oddball, or at least I did. I had mm. a complete oddball because I have such a weird selection of symptoms. Yeah. Um, and I've yet to meet anyone that has the same set as me. Mm. Um, and I'm like, oh, but you have the walking one. So right now you're my like walking pal. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, no, you, you're the speech. You're my speech pal because my speech goes as well. So it's, it's yeah. like camaraderie that you have, even if you don't have exactly the same, you're like, oh, wait, no, I, they understand, they get it. And it's really hard. I must, it must imagine for you guys as professionals, because like, I have lots of information and then we come at you and go, yeah, but you don't live it. And it no, must be really hard for you. Well, I mean, you know, I think they think they come in the group and I think what happens is we'll get to the end of the group and I'll go, right then, now we're going to do some mop-ups, but I don't know when that's going to be. But mm -hmm. actually, um, we get to the end and I'm like, okay, we start to set some goals. Yeah. 
um, because it focuses the mind a little bit. Yeah. Um, but of course, in this condition, the crazy thing about it is that actually, the more you focus on the problem, the worse it gets. So you've got to be like uh, yeah. a little bit careful on that one, the spotlighting effect. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's so difficult. It is so <laughs> difficult. Um, I guess it's just, I suppose, it's just working alongside of people yeah. and advocating for them and yeah. connecting them and encouraging them. Mm. Because, again... And the and the other thing here is that you know we talk about um, you you basically become a lot of people come to the group and they'll kind of go I am a different person but a lot of people have said actually I'm the same but different and what I try and encourage is you are the same but different yeah um, you have the but you, however comma you have the same values. You've just got to go round it a different way. You just got and, a different route. That's all. Yeah. Um. And actually, yeah, I'm coming along and I'm telling you what to do. But actually, I'm not expecting you to do it. And yeah, one of the one of the other things is like you know, yeah, I'm your therapist for the moment. But actually, I can't follow you around 24 hours a day, much as I'd like to do. And go, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Uh, You know, I can't wrap you in cotton wool. So I'm sorry, but this is rehab in real life. And that's really hard. Yeah. Really hard. But I acknowledge it. Every time I acknowledge it and I'll go, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Let's look at it a different way. Or are you sure about that? Um, Let's try a slightly different approach. (laughs) Let's try something different. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that didn't. It didn't fail, you know, because language, again, I'll come back to language. It didn't fail, but it, it just didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, maybe you just overcooked it a little bit. I, um, I say um, it went pear-shaped. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't like the word wrong or fail, so I go, oh, that went a little bit pear-shaped, didn't it? And then I'm like, okay, that's a bit funny. I find yeah. it funny, and then I'm like, okay, it's not completely destroyed my soul that I feel like I failed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and because... The thing that I'm trying to say to people as well is, you know, I'm trying to bring the science element into it. Mm. That actually you haven't got a degenerative condition and your brains are still very much intact. Mm. It's the functioning that's gone wrong. And yeah. actually you still have the ability to create new pathways and, you know, bring an all, bringing all of that in. But you have to be really Sherlock Holmes on your ass and you have to learn these new ways. Yeah. And by learning those new ways, you create new pathways, you create new templates. Mm. And so and they're like, this is really hard. I'm like, but even if you were in rehab, say you were, I don't know, lucky enough to be, I don't know, St. George's or wherever, mm. um, uh, you would still have to work really, really hard. And actually, you still have to come out at the end of it and apply it in real life. Yeah. And usually it's the it's that overwhelming uh, information that comes from real life that may be doing it in the first place. So, yeah. you know, there's that sort of almost concentrated rehab and then there's a real life messy rehab that has to go on. Yeah. Um, and I, I think so from my own experience, so I went into an inpatient program um, mm-hmm. and I was in for three weeks and that took everything else out so you didn't have to think about bills or mm. like cooking or washing or it took yeah. all out and just gave you time to focus on what you were doing. Yeah. Um, and it was really, it was, it was intense in the fact that you like, you're around people with FND all the time, like you're seeing different people. Um, but it was, it was a way of taking that outside stress off of it to just see how it functions by itself. Mm. And mm. you learn what it, what your FND looks like without the outside influence gosh that's really interesting isn't it because I would kind of like I have I have been to some inpatient units and I have seen it that way and it's mm. it's yes it's quite it's the same but it's different again yeah. they're again, the same but different yeah um, yeah yeah it's, and, it's, quite, it's quite challenging mm, very <laughs> much so very much so and then you do realize how much there is I think sometimes people go, what do you mean life gets in the way? And I'm like, life does get in the way. Mm. Um, you know, it really does influence yeah. your condition. And life is information. And if we're, if we're talking about the latest, 
you know, nerd science with regards to F and D. I love we are talking nerd about science. Yeah, yes. we're just like we are talking about things like interoception. We are talking about information processing. Yeah. Life is full on information mm-hmm. processing. So when I talk to the group about information processing, I'll say to them, I'll say to them like, imagine you're like cartoon you, and if we were drawing the information that was coming at you it'd be lots and lots of little arrows in the air yeah um, literally coming at you from every single angle yeah so um again getting you know people are they're learning themselves and then they've got to learn all of this kind of neuroscience that affects them yeah and they you know people you know probably ducked biology at school um, you know, because they didn't think it was relevant to them, but actually now it, it truly is. Now you're like, damn, I wish I'd paid attention in that biology class. <laughs> Got to be, I think, folk with FMD almost have to become like citizen scientists. Yeah. Uh, there's um, a lass called um, Sarah Rigari. Um, she's a lady with Parkinson's disease, mm. but she has done she's called it personal science yeah and she did her phd on herself oh wow and she quantified herself she noticed yeah she's really interesting um to notice all of these things that affected her parkinson's now i know that parkinson's is obviously it's a degenerative condition Mm. but what she said is that personal science and the learning of personal science is really important um and again, you know, I keep, I will say to to folk on the group, people that I meet, if you kind of understand some of the principles of the thing, mm. then actually you can change some of them. Yeah, you can learn to like work with them. Mm, definitely. Uh, they stop becoming like your enemy and you start mm. going, okay, you can like walk with me, fine. <laughs> yeah, so it becomes this like, again, setbacks instead of relapses you know it's like you've got the bear the bloody great big bear in the room that Mm. previously used to control you and Mm. I'm not suggesting that it doesn't control you because it it does but you can shrink it you can can like you can tame it a little bit yeah you can tame it it becomes the bear that's sitting beside you in the driving seat as opposed to in the driving seat or it sits behind you and it becomes a cub yeah. Um, so again, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah it's like metaphor, metaphor and stuff. I, I just I on the group I put a picture of a teddy bear, <laughs> and uh, one of my one of my patients said to me, "It's not a flipping teddy bear. That makes it too cute. It's, <laughs> it's like a cub." And I'm like, "All right, I'll change the picture." <laughs> um, so. Yes. We're very protective over it. And, and I was just, no, 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 that doesn't quite represent it how I want it to be represented. I don't want it to be cute and fluffy. I want it to be like grizzly. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want you saying to people that actually my condition's a teddy bear. I'm like, no, no, I think that's fair enough. All right, yeah. It's like a hibernating yeah. bear and you just don't know oh. wake up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're just at its mercy waiting for it to decide if it's going to wake up that day or not. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it wouldn't, but you know, you never know with this condition. It's just very, very strange. Um, uh-huh. So in terms, so I'm going, I'm going to go back a bit. Um, sure. You said um, that the emotions obviously impact um, mm. the condition, and actually, I have two points I want to raise, but I've got, I've got waylaid on both, so I'm going to have to write it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to jump around all over the place now. Um, so the emotions impact it, which. Can you just add a bit more to that, and how sort of how you describe that to the people in your group? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, so, and that's, I suppose it's taking it from observation. Yeah. Um, but it's taking it from the fact that emotion is information mm-hmm. it, at, its, at its very base level. Yeah. Um, it, it's also taking it from the current science that we know. Yeah. So we know that if you stick folk without FND under an fMRI scanner, mm-hmm. um, that can you can you just explain what that is for those that oh make- yeah so okay so people will have heard of a ct scanner mm-hmm. uh which is like an x kind of like a posh x-ray of your brain yeah. and it and it photographs technically your structures of your brain yeah but then there's um what's called a magnetic resonance imaging scanner which is like um 
a posher version of a scanner and it's the souped up uh, version <laughs> it's the souped up version it really is and that sees things at much greater detail yeah. much much greater detail you're kind of almost seeing the atoms of the brain oh, wow. um, not quite that detailed but kind of getting there yeah um so then there's a very very clever scanner called the fmri so that's functional magnetic resonance imaging scanner and what that does is that does look at functioning like literally the processes that are going on in the brain yeah so um like the oxygen that's going to certain parts of the brain when it's functioning yeah so when you stick a person without fnt under a scanner an fmri scanner Mm. and you compare them to a person with fnd under an fmri scanner i've got to slow down when i say that <laughs> teeth will fall out um and you're asking them to do the same thing you'll see that different parts of their brain are lighting up oh that's really cool i mean it's not cool but that's interesting sorry wrong word <laughs> no so it's fine it's fine so you know that the function if you like not the structures but the function of the brain is working differently. Hence yeah. the reason why it co- you call it functional neurological disorder, yeah. because the function is working differently. It's just taking a holiday. It's just got, it's just got a bit lost. It's just a yeah. It's taking different pathways for sure. <laughs> and what, what we know through observation is that, um, and through people with FND telling us, they say that actually sometimes their emotions are either heightened mm. or dulled. And, actually some of the stuff pre-FND that really they weren't too bothered about or maybe they weren't acknowledging is now really massive in their life and they they respond differently to it and so um and one of the areas in the brain that we know that is kind of like working overtime with FND is the amygdala so that's the area that's responsible for processing emotions and emotional memory and yeah. sensation of emotion and it's kind of on red alert if you looked yeah. at the two people one person without fnd and one person with fnd it's like oh that's working over time yeah so describe it as mine would be on green whereas yours would be on red <laughs> just give it a right. color yeah um because people go what do you mean it's grown it's, it's increased in size and i'm like no 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 it's on kind of red alert yeah. So then, then fight, flight or flight, isn't it? Fight or flight mode, absolutely. But almost like fight or flight mode when it shouldn't be in fight and flight mode. It's just um, working overtime. It's just decided it's, it really wants to be present at all points. <laughs> yeah. So therefore, you respond to emotions differently than when you when you didn't have FND. If of course you never ever had FND, yeah. which of course you know again the boffins are working on all of that stuff. Mm. So. Um, so people then really get it. They kind of go, oh, okay. So then when this happens, which has an emotional tint to it, yeah. um, actually I'm responding differently or more so or less so than I used to be. Yeah. And therefore, um, that might be one of the hallmarks or triggers of my FND could be that I'm overwhelmed and that's yeah. a really common way of looking at it because people don't like the word anxiety. They don't like to, be, to say the word stress, although some people do. Mm. But lots of people use the word overwhelmed. Yes. They get a great sense of being overwhelmed. And emotion often, doesn't it, it often overwhelms us. And yeah. whether that be joy, disgust, anger, love, it completely overwhelms us. Yeah. In addition to all these other things you know, sensation, sensory input, yeah. uh, physical temperature, you name it. Um, yeah, anything, but, anything you could really like think of, it just mm, is there as a, as a factor. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes if it has this emotional hue, it can be much, actually, much, much greater. Yeah. And it's about sometimes it's just about saying to people, Listen, I've just said to you, it's not all in your head. It's not all in your mind. But actually, your brain and your mind and your body are connected. Yeah. And we can't, we can't throw that bit out. We can't throw the emotional experience out. We've got to put that into the pot as well. Yeah. And actually, if you're reacting differently, this might be one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, and that gives permission to people to explore it because 
again, folk with FND, you know, we've got some really lovely research that says that people prior to their FND have been just like givers. Yeah. Like give, 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 never take, 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 take. Mm. And the, and the the body and the brain and the mind, it works around the principles of balance, homeostasis. Yeah. And actually, if you're constantly giving to others and not looking at your own needs, actually, one of the mechanisms for getting you to look at your own needs is to actually stop. And the brain and the body and the mind are very clever at that. Mm. They will actually kind of go, uh-uh, you're not listening to me. Yeah. And make you listen to me. Um, <laughs> yes, quite dramatically, I'll make you listen to me. Stop I'll it. make you listen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it can usually be this one, sometimes this massive event that mimics a neurological problem mm. uh, or uh, over a period of time. And people often say to me, yeah, I did kind of notice that that was happening. Yeah. But, you know, actually, if they didn't know about it, how are they going to notice that it was happening? And if they are busy looking the other way how are they gonna know yeah um, I think it's the beauty of hindsight though isn't it like mm. as soon as so I know when I was starting to get diagnosed um they were like oh well you know have have you had like um like shaky attacks before and I was like huh yeah I have but I didn't mm. put any thought into it and yeah then connected the dots after they were like oh yeah well that's probably this it's been like there for quite a number of years and it's mm. just never come through fully and I was like oh now that yeah. makes more sense it's kind of like a leaky tap I'll say to people it's <laughs> like you know you, you the one day your FND tap got switched on big styling <laughs> but actually prior to that it's probably leaking a bit yeah um, uh you know dripping and they're like oh yeah come to think of it I mean, but I'm obviously also very careful to say, actually, it's not all about, you know, when I say about emotion, um, people will, you know, still this whole thing about trauma, which is, you know, it's a completely different, it, it's important, but it's not all of that. Um, so I, you know, I will, I sit in the middle that so I'll go, yeah, if you've had that experience, that will be very, very important. Um, but actually, if you haven't, then okay. You haven't and I'm yeah. not going to dig around trying to find something that's not there yeah because that tends to be the um the thought process isn't it that mm. people with FND have suffered a trauma um mm. and that is why their brain has decided to rewire and mm. go you know what I want to walk differently or whatever it might be I'll just mm. I'll just change it up for like a couple of years because I feel like it um but then you meet some people and they're like but I didn't have any trauma but mm. there, there seemed to be that historic view that only people who had experienced trauma mm. would end up with FND. So you don't, you don't follow, you don't kind of agree with that fully. I don't, I, I think if you've had an experience that then clearly we know enough about the human brain and mind and body yeah. to know that it can affect an individual. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not going to force, oh, excuse me, I'm not going to turn that off. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't realise I felt on. Oh, that's my work phone, apologies. That's right, um, okay. Right, that's hopefully off now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I I think it's important for people who have had that to acknowledge that, yeah, and to acknowledge that it may have been part of the process, yeah. But I won't force the issue of trauma, yeah, uh, down the throats of everybody because I don't think I think for some people, some people don't even interpret trauma as trauma yes um, and they do that for a reason and we're all very very individual we've got lots of the same stuff but we've also got lots of different ways of viewing the world and yeah. perception you know you perceive the world differently to the way that I perceive the world yeah um, your interpretation of the world is different from the way that I interpret the world isn't it so just a big ball of candy floss isn't that isn't that what the world is just a big ball of candy floss <laughs> that'd be lovely <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yes I'm in your world then definitely um yeah so yes that's where I'm at with um emotion emotional processing yeah essentially if I was to sort of boil it right down information processing emotional processing is part of that yeah um sensory processing is part of that physical processing is part of that yeah. No, uh, I will say to people, they'll talk to me about pain, for example, which is big in this community. Yeah. Um, and probably not explored or 
manage particularly well mm. but what I will say to people is okay like when you change when you when you have FMD it's not a pure pain problem but actually the way you process pain yes that's changed and yeah. so and you know on the story of the, the lady in Scotland who got discovered who had no pain whatsoever and they're like what do you mean and I'm like well she actually had no pain, but she couldn't feel physical pain, but she also couldn't feel emotional pain. Yeah. And that's really important to know because the pathways that process it are pretty much the same. Yeah. And if in FND your brain gets a little bit scrambled and it's struggling to process, it might very well be processing emotional pain as physical pain and vice versa. Yeah, and that I think that's really important. Like, I know that, like, back... <laughs> well, it still does it now, like, I really struggle to process certain emotions. Mm. Um, and I will I kind of, I'm always like a bit numb to them. Because I think mm. my brain just, as you say, is, is so overwhelmed, mm. that it just goes, you know what, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna touch yeah. that one, that one's gonna go off on holiday for a long period of time, and it's not going to come back. Um, yeah. And it's really hard. And then you and then I'll have like, oh, my legs are really sore. Like, yeah, but is it actually a pain? Am I actually in pain? Mm. just because something else is going on mm. it's really hard to untangle that when you're in it because mm. you're like well I just know I'm in pain mm. it just hurts I, mm. I can't I don't have the brain space to think about whether it's my emotions or not it it just hurts like mm. they are so uncomfortable but yeah I mm. don't think that pain and F&D is something that's really explored very much no I mean, the whole thing's not explored very much, but generally that mm. seems to be an area that's lacking some attention. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I have thought about, I did ask last year, I said to my boss, actually, can I do some more pain training? Yeah. Um, it sort of stalled a little bit, but I will get on back on the horse. <laughs> um, because often we'll refer people to pain services and they'll go, well, nope, it's FMD, and bounce back. And you're just like, yeah. well, hold on a second. Actually, it's about the holistic management of pain, not just about the condition in and of itself. So, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really difficult balance to get because mm -hmm. for the person, it feels so real. Mm. It, it feels so real. There's like they we would describe it as being pain. But then, like I say, if you go to a pain clinic, they might be like, mm, no, there's no actual pain there. But you're like, but mm. I can feel it. And then you end up back in that loop of oh, mm. it's all in your head. Yeah. And you end up back in that cycle again, and that can be really difficult to break mm -hmm. back out of. If you've already done it once, it doesn't make it easy to break out of it again. Yeah. If someone else, then it, it sort of goes down that pathway. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is you mentioned about goals mm. um, and setting goals that weren't necessarily spotlighting mm. FND, but were goals to kind of strive for. So I was wondering if you could give a couple of examples of what you mean by that so people can take away like, uh, an example to maybe apply into their own their own situation oh yeah okay so I think the FND can make you feel when you've had no support with it really powerless mm. um, and goals are very much about trying to teach people that they do have some sense of control yeah um, and that's what we talk about in terms of what next what can you do with support but also by yourself that yeah. you can measure to show that actually you're not going backwards that you are going forwards yeah um and so I suppose what I use is an analogy of like um, playing darts you the goal of the game is to hit the bullseye yeah. so if you know the rules of the game you can play the game and so therefore try and distill those in certain goals um so that you can feel that you have achieved something regardless of what's going on yeah. or and I'm also careful that then people don't place pressure on themselves. So I tend to hammer at home that it can't be like everyone sets a goal, don't they, at New Year's? And um, they all set they all set a goal that, you know, you're gonna, I don't know, lose a stone in four weeks and, you yeah. know, have a flat stomach and yeah. and of course you never achieve it. 
Um, it's nice to so, think about. Oh, yeah, it's great. And again, <laughs> I don't knock people's optimism, for sure, because that's <laughs> not what I'm about. But um, so we'll talk about realistic and achievable and measurable if possible. So like but smart not, goals. Kind of like smart goals, but um, maybe not as sometimes smart goals can be a little bit mm, it makes people feel under pressure yeah and of course if you've got fnd and you get really easily overwhelmed you can it can almost act as a vicious circle yeah so um what we'll what i'll try and do is i'll say some just make your goal meaningful to you because otherwise you're not going to achieve it yeah make it small enough to notice a difference if you try it and set it around an area of um that's that's a a priority to you not to somebody else but to you um and then give yourself a good period of time say i don't know a month to six weeks because life's going to get in the way yeah but and write it down because you're going to have your brain fog and all of that and um, remember where you've written it down and that will be absolutely thing yeah <laughs> yeah and maybe and use various means like not writing down but maybe recording it reminders all of yeah. the above you'll find even sometimes stuff like that can be a goal because people will say to me but I'm not remembering stuff and I'm like okay let's explore make it one of your goals to explore stuff that sticks yeah um and so and that can really really help again because people are you know people will really worry about stuff like that and I'm like this is the stuff that we would do with anybody rehab wise so yeah come on let's do this and just gently sort of get them into a goal stroke rehab mindset but not placing too much pressure on and not spotlighting it so when I say not spotlighting it if the issue is say the use of one's hands yeah if you set a goal around the use of one's hands you're going to spotlight the problem make the function worse yeah but actually if the issue is to be able to make i don't know cupcakes for example in the kitchen Mm -hmm. then actually how can you do that then that's that's a different goal it involves the function of the hands but actually it's using the great wonderful distraction the greatest one of the greatest therapeutic tools in fnd to actually bypass the scrambling and get to the sweet spot yeah and that that's quite a good way of putting it like i think when when people think of goals they're like oh well you know i want to have function back in my hand like you said so Mm. they think oh well i must focus on like doing hand exercises or i must be able to do this or that and it puts so much pressure on it Mm. And it like that spotlight thing, but actually doing something like, oh, you know, to make toast or to carry a cup of tea, mm. you're still involving that skill that you want to improve, mm. but you're not completely shining a light on it. You're going, you know what? I just want to carry a cup of tea. Yes, it involves my hand, but the main thing is I want to carry a cup of tea. Mm. Like I remember doing it for the first time and being so proud of myself that I managed to carry a cup of tea. I know it's great isn't it and it's the small stuff I think with this condition that because you kind of took it for granted for so and we all do it you know it's all unconscious and then suddenly unfortunately because of this condition it becomes conscious you know so previously it was like the 80% under the water iceberg thing yeah and 20% on top and now it's 80% on top and only 20% underneath so it's actually about it's flipping it it's seeing the world differently but if you've been seeing the world in a particular way for the last 40 years, you kind of think this therapist coming along and telling me stuff and <laughs> can't be right. And uh, I'm like, trust me, try it. <laughs> please try. Um, if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll, we'll try again. But please try. But please, but please try. Uh, sometimes, the time, and sometimes the timing's not right for people. Yeah. They're just like, no, no. And I'm like, okay, well, right, come back come back when you're ready people do people do so I think that's the other thing isn't it like right back at the beginning it's that whole thing that and I don't know whether you agree with this or not is about like the first major step into like that road to recovery I know that sounds really cliche sorry um is accepting the diagnosis acceptance is so one of my last slides on my first session at the top is the word acceptance 
people go, I'm accepting it. And I'm like, well, you're kind of not because you're fighting it. Okay, you're um, currently fighting me and it. <laughs> and actually, really, if you if you can take a step back and see it through a different lens, mm. then actually you're not fueling it in the same way. Yeah. And therefore you will dampen down, you know, wonderful fight and flight response. Yeah. Um, and you will dampen it down and you will turn it from red to amber to green. And you will actually episodes will not last as long yeah pain will not last as long because maybe you're not fueling it in the same way yeah you're not then, adding that wood to the fire are you yeah absolutely it's like um it's like a non-epileptic event you know a dissociative seizure it, it's like when people pile in then uh it fuels it yeah um whereas actually if people can understand and they're safe um actually it can morph it can change yeah 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 and that's that's so that's interesting that you wrote because I have dissociative um sort of episodes and I have non-epileptic um attacks mm. um, my <laughs> I say to people who I maybe haven't they haven't seen me in all the states I'm like just a heads up at some point I might mm. flip to being five years old mm. do not panic do mm. not do anything differently just talk to me as you are right now, mm. and that is fine. But I think when people have that sudden change or they're having um, like an non-epileptic seizure, whatever it might be, people suddenly go into panic mode, mm. and they're like, "Oh, we must like we must do lots of things. We must change what we're doing." And I'm like, actually, by doing that, you're giving it power. What I yes. need you to do is I need you just to continue as normal. Make sure I'm safe. Make mm-hmm. sure I don't hit my head if I'm on the floor or whatever. But do don't change what you're doing for me. Just mm. just talk to me. Just continue as you were. Don't talk about what's actually happening unless I'm expressing pain or whatever it might be. But just carry on, and that's mm. fine. I don't take it as a like you're not caring. If anything, I take it as you caring more because you've listened to me. Mm. And it's it's that whole thing of actually you're not then putting that spotlight back on it. Mm. Exactly. So spotlight is so important to understand. Mm-hmm. so important to understand um the, the like i say the greatest two therapeutic tools that you can give to people is understanding spotlight um and and just and distraction and unfortunately yeah. the word distraction i think people kind of go oh actually that's just a bit wafty and a little bit weak but yeah. actually it's again it's so important in this condition so important and it can be so i mean i have to i ended up doing some very random things as part of distraction therapy like mm. you're, and you look back and you're like why on earth was I walking with a beanbag on my head or why was I sing like why were they getting me to sing or walk backwards or whatever it was but actually then when you look at it all combined mm. it's those things that have really helped make that difference yeah and open the door to other things too yeah um because you know I will talk to people about the importance of self-care which often mm. gets forgotten um, I think everyone's so busy focusing on the illness that you kind of forget about the foundations of things. Yeah. Um, I will talk to people certainly about trying to go from red to amber to green and the importance of exploring activity, which can enable that, yeah. uh, even though they might not necessarily feel that it's enabling it, it will enable it with practice and it might open the door to something that actually you really love as well um and so you know I don't think we can knock the importance of meaningful activity here and it's particularly when say for example with spotlighting as you say you know you're practicing your hand exercises but actually um you can still practice function but within another activity yeah and that's so important it is and I think it's it is under underrated and people are like oh yeah but you're just playing around you're like no I'm actually I'm actually learning how to walk mm. by by doing something like I, my physio had me like playing hockey playing football yeah like, doing obstacle courses and they look at you and like well how would that help you learn to walk and you're like because I'm not focused on walking yeah I'm focused on not falling on my backside or trying to move a football or trying to coordinate some other part of my brain so I'm not looking at what I'm doing with my legs because I'm enjoying 
trying to do something else with them. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, there's another chap with Parkinson's on the Twitter uh, called Purposeful PD. I think his name's Gavin. But he's just like he taps into the everyday, mm. the importance of the everyday. Um, and I think, again, if we can em- empower is sometimes an overused word, but um, if we can encourage people to explore um the citizen science element of it via some of the foundations the rules that we know work then that's that's a great thing but we need also other people to see it as as therapy um um but therapy in the messiness of real life yeah 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 i think being based in real life is the most helpful thing Mm. Because you can you can be given all these tools and you can have your toolkit that has so many things in it. Mm. But if it's only based in like an inpatient stay where lots of other things are taken off of you in terms of like you don't have to worry about bills and things like that, then it you're, you don't learn to apply it into your actual real life. Yeah. You, you learn to cope in that situation, but you don't learn to apply it outside of that situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's the skill, isn't it? It's being able to transfer yeah. the skills across and not see it as like a huge stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, it's just it's a learning curve, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yeah, very much so. We are all just learning. Good collaborative work between all of us. You know, so yes. you talked about physio, the importance of physio is, you know, fabulous. Uh, yeah. Movement retraining, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, psychology... You know, again, people will go, well, why do I need to see a psychologist if you're telling me it's, you know, it's uh, not all in my head? Uh, or, And I'm like, well, actually, there are probably some deeper things that you need to think about. And we mm. need, you need you need a little bit more, more work around that. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, I'm an occupational therapist. So my philosophy around my profession is that uh, it's in the everyday. It's yeah. in the doing. And if yeah. people can't do what they need to do, then they suffer as a result. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then great people, you know, such as, again, the Carsons, the Stones, the Edwards, the Rickards, the all of the world, you know. So, uh, yeah. And then speech and language therapy. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very, it like, you have, you get that multidisciplinary approach, don't you? Um, and that's what I've been through. And actually, people are like, you're always at the hospital. I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing different things at the hospital every time I go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sat in the same room. I'm like, I'm seeing a physio. I'm a, I'm seeing a speech therapist, or I'm seeing a psychologist, and I'm doing lots of different things mm. to try and like just approach that block in my brain from mm. all possible angles in the mm. hope that maybe one will just break through enough to cause it to crack. Yeah, and then the others can like work with it to kind of make it a little bit more unsturdy and then all of a sudden unsturdy's not even unsturdy's not even like unstable and then all of a sudden it will all kind of click in and you're like oh look I managed to take out a whole brick and yes kind of that sort of approach um yeah. but it seems very like oh my god I'm doing so much like I'm seeing so many different people why am I seeing so many different people but I would tell people to embrace it yeah go with it you like if you have these options available to you to see a clinical psychologist, a speech therapist, a physio, an OT, whatever it might be, yeah. go for it. Yeah. Because you never know. Just the combination might be the most beneficial thing that you go through, or it could be just one element, but you, you've got to try. Yeah, for sure. Um, you've, got, yeah. you've got to give it a go. And what doesn't work one day might work the next day. Mm, definitely. Um, you've got to be willing to keep going back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just to finish off, so Mm. what would be your kind of top tip almost to maybe someone who's newly diagnosed or to someone like me who's further into the journey for managing their FND? Oh, crikey. Put you right on the spot there. (laughs) Okay. Um, It it might be more than one thing. That's fine. Yeah. I was going to say. So I'm not going to be picky. so if you are if somebody has randomly said to you they think that you've got functional neurological disorder Mm -hmm. 
and it's not necessarily a specialist um yeah. and you've just been tagged with it yeah make sure that you find your way through going to your gp to be asked to get to see a neurologist mm-hmm. and get that diagnosis firmed up yeah um please because there are so many people out there that are tagged with it and maybe don't have that firmed up yeah and that's really important because then that enables you to access services which i know um are really skinny on the ground but then if you can get to see somebody who understands you can start to make some changes um and take a little bit more control back make the big bear a cub in the back seat yeah then i would say people often feel abandoned when we talk about Mm self-management but actually if you can learn some of the foundations that we've spoken about um spotlighting rule yeah the actual um the distraction yeah um the fact that fatigue and feeling overwhelmed increases symptoms you can look at your whole self and think well actually maybe i just need to prioritize here and take that away and you kind of give yourself permission to look after yourself yeah um practice self-care learn yourself because lots of people will go to i don't know their doctors and they'll say this has happened and that's happened and the person will turn around and unfortunately this is the flip side of having an fnd diagnosis is they'll kind of go oh it's just your fnd what I would say to you is actually get to know your FND, know your presentation. Yeah. Um, and then actually, I think I said earlier on, get a bit Sherlock Holmes on it, but <laughs> um, is actually, you know, your presentation and actually you can then go to a GP and you can say, and doctors really like this stuff. They like you knowing yourself. You can actually say, no, I'm sorry. This is not my FND. Yes. This is something different. Yes. Because Folk with FND aren't just folk with FND. They're yeah. folk with lots of other stuff going yes. on. So, you know, if you've got, you know, a tight band around your back, which is your usual FND presentation, actually, if it's changed, if it's morphed and it's not the same, go. Because I've had ladies who've had kidney infections and ignored it, yeah. you know. So, again, self-care and other problems happen. Yeah. Then I would say it's I'm gonna go it's not okay to be not okay but it's okay to be not okay it's okay to be all at sea one of the th- the big things in this condition is that you never intended on being here you yeah. know you didn't ask for it and your life has changed and you're gonna grieve your old self yeah. and you're gonna grieve your future self and grief is a huge part of this so mm. be kind to yourself you're in this place called ambiguous loss and mm-hmm. actually that also will affect you so just be kind to yourself I've never actually no I don't think anyone's actually put that forward before mm. um about okay. grieving your future self I I, I I I got the um like you're you're grieving the life you had but mm. no one's actually put it like you're also grieving your future self that mm. makes a lot of sense it's not something I'd considered before so mm. That's that's an interesting. Po- I'm I'm going to take that way, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have some time thinking about that because that's it's just not something I'd ever considered. Yeah, lots of lots of folk really really get it. Um, I talk about grief. We talk about grief a lot actually. Um, and even just acknowledging that it exists for people, mm. they're like, yeah, that is a thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you see, you feel that sense of loss, mm. but it, I don't think I've ever really attached the label of grief to it before Mm. um but it makes complete sense now you've said it that that's exactly what you're doing you're grieving what you had Mm. and the life and the way you used to lead your life Mm. and now it's completely well it's different to whatever degree it is but it's still different it's not what you yeah it's not originally had it's not grief as in finite grief it's not as in somebody dying it's Mm. not that but it is ambiguous in that it's like there was this space before and there's a space in future. Yeah. And what do you do now and how do you adjust to it? And of course, I suppose, getting back to what we were saying just now is actually 
the sooner that you start to sort of recognize that and maybe manage it in a different way mm-hmm. then actually that will help you move forward and discover the new you yeah so instead of floating around in the sea of kind of nothingness and being out of control you can grab onto a little rock or a little island find a little find a little rock to hold and just go this is me now I'm staying here for a minute yeah (laughs) yeah I need to rest yeah absolutely I need a breather and then I'll carry on but right now I just need to stay on the stone and I think all the points you've raised have been it's really interesting having another perspective come through and I hope that people listening to this can take away those key messages about spotlighting and distraction and all self-care and the grief part and and use that in their own lives to help them because some people may not have access to anything right now so hopefully this is giving them some of the tools to just help start making a step by themselves and it's not easy it is not something that will happen overnight by any show of the imagination it does take time and there will be days where you feel like you are going backwards but if you look at like a graph of your progress you will plateau you will dip but then you also go back up again um and it's that that understanding of that process um and learning what your fnd is for you i Mm. think that's like but that's what it is you're learning what yours is how it represents how it affects you and what your little triggers are so Mm -hmm. that you can then manage it as, mm. as best you can and you will not manage it perfectly every day there no. will be days where it goes completely pear-shaped and you're mm-hmm. stuck on a sofa or like me you can't walk upstairs or you get stuck at the top of the stairs or whatever it might be you get stuck in the bath mm. but overall you can start to make those little steps forward and it doesn't yeah. matter that they're little it just matters that you're going forward yeah absolutely yeah well thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me it's been yeah. lovely it's been really great i've really enjoyed it and i can't believe that we're like over an hour later but uh, i hope that's all right no it's absolutely fun so thank you very much for coming on um and yeah guys i will catch you i have um some more guests planned so i will catch you on another one soon thanks for listening everyone all right thank you